just every scene. It's I, I love Coen Brothers movies, but there's none of them I feel like pack as much of a punch scene by scene, like all fitting together than than this movie. It's just it's just flawless. Yeah, I don't think um, I feel like the Big Lebowski. Every scene has a purpose. It is not a movie you could cut scenes from and just like be okay. Like you'd be losing something that contributes to the overall. You're just like cutting shit out. Yeah, there's nothing extra. That's like the Coen Brothers kind of way too. Is like every scene you need to fill in some like piece of their puzzle. Yeah, I'm thinking. I can only think of like one thing that I know that got cut from the uh, like the final film, like the final product. Yeah, there aren't there aren't really aren't many deleted scenes, right? I think there's only one or two. Yeah, and like the even then, like I'm not even referencing like the deleted scene. It was more like a uh, like a reference than anything. It was like a in like Coen Brothers reference that they had that they were going to do originally. It was in the original script, but then they did, decided not to. Yeah, the the thing that I I will say is I've seen this movie a lot. I haven't seen it maybe in a couple years, and maybe even more than that, maybe like three, four, five years, but I've seen it countless times. And this is the first time I've, of like a lot of movies I do on this podcast where watching it from like critically from a leftist perspective, I feel like I had a whole different appreciation or I'm sorry, appreciation is the wrong word, a, a more a hatred of, of uh, Walter in this movie. He's just a shit lib. Kinda. I know. We we can we can we can discuss what we think of all the all the characters, but that's just my early read on him. I'm just a liberal. I don't know. I could agree with that. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. I mean, especially it's like the kind of liberal um which we see like a lot of the like rhetoric nowadays where it's like um liberals condemn every past war and like, you know, they're against every past war, but they're for the current one. Like he you know, like he mourns like he now he talks about nam a lot and it's like he during the whole like donnie scene like you know like he talks about that and it's like very much like um a negative person you know like perception like all those they died you know and but earlier in the movie you know he refers to you know iraq and the iraqis as what either camel humpers or camel fuckers and how like they're, you know, like how, like, you know, oh, it's great. You know, they're going to like bomb Saddam, you know, like it's just the perfect, it is exactly. And it's like timely. Cause like I said, right now, what do we hear all the time? Like liberals condemn the past wars and they're for the current one. They're always, they're always okay with it when it's happening. Yeah. And he like brings that up, like right after he pulls the gun in the bowling alley and is like using that, like flex to that as like. Oh yeah, no. Violence is totally fine whenever you're using it for something right and just like, oh that those camel fuckers in Iraq, like yeah, right and just the rule of law. Like he that whole that entire fucking rant. I'm so Evan. Can I curse? I don't remember. Do you, you curse, curse on this normally? I do. <laughs> I don't. I've listened to it enough. I curse a lot. <laughs> same no no you, you, you can curse i just put the little explicit sign next to that episode i don't think there's any episode that's like clean occasionally a guest will be like is very like that's just their style they're clean so but yeah say whatever you want that entire thing like ward like you brought up like that that scene with Smokey, and that is he is literally talking about america's concept of rule of law like straight up like the rule of law and like you know like 
I have violence. I can I can do this. This is this is the rules. This is the rules because I said so, and because I have a gun. Yeah, and because I'm talking about the rules a lot, I must mean that I care about the rules a lot, even though I'm literally holding a fucking gun at you. Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the, the video Thank you. All right, this week on Left to the Projector, we are talking about The Big Lebowski came out in 1998 of course it's a joel and ethan cohen film starring jeff bridges john goodman julianne moore among others and with me on the podcast i have ward from the turn leftist podcast and i have bill red gabo thank you both for joining me how's it going yeah yes yeah so we, as we were just kind of discussing uh the big lebowski a little bit before uh we're getting into it here, but I know since, since everyone here is, uh, I'd say, a big fan of this movie, I don't know if you want to share, I don't know, any memories of this movie. I, I can honestly remember the first time I watched it, so I don't know if you guys have any, or just thoughts on the movie in general. Like, it's been 25 years, and I feel like it holds up pretty well. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I definitely, uh, definitely think it holds up really well. I've seen this movie tons of times. I honestly can't remember the first time that I saw the movie, but... I don't know, probably some fondest memories is uh, I had a buddy of mine, and I think I was like, between I was like 23 and 24 for like two years, damn near every Wednesday, we got together to drink White Russians and watch The Big Lebowski. That sounds about right. Pretty fond for me. (laughs) Yeah, I hate White Russians now. Jesus. (laughs) It's it's a lot. (laughs) It's a hell of a drink. You don't want to drink milk with your your drink, really. I've actually never had... I actually said I was going to have a, a white Russian tonight, but since I had a concussion uh, like three days ago and I'm on drugs, still, I'm not going to have a, a white Russian. <laughs> Damn, I was literally about to come for you and be like, you said you're going to have one, so how do yeah. you feel about this cream <laughs> cream based drink? And then you hit me with a concussion thing. No, I can't come at you. Yeah, so, no. Yeah, no, oh, I uh, went from vertical to horizontal real fast and uh, oh. slammed my head into the ground. And <laughs> I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Probably, I was too young, I can tell you that, because uh, came out 25 years ago. So I would have been, I don't know, 15, 16. <laughs> so, you know, and I watched it around the time it came out. Uh, as time goes by, like, I, the dude is like the thing that has always done it for me, like, I admire his like I call it uh positive uh nihilism. The idea that like, you know, you just if you can't change a thing, you just you abide. You just you can't you you can't control everything. And like I always, you know, I always admired that about him in a lot of ways and like respected that. I was, you know, just it always meant a lot to me. Yeah, I think he uh he does embody something and that's I don't know, timeless in some way, in some way, like, uh, you know, the, I feel like the opening sort of uh voiceover in the movie is very much, you know, there is a, like there, there just is this person at a time and this, like, you can't really explain what he is. And, and I, I don't remember the first time I watched it, but I do remember a uh, similar to you saying, Ward, I feel like in college, maybe early two thousands, we would watch it. I don't know, like once every couple weeks, it would just, it would just be in the DVD player and you'd be like, ah, I don't feel like taking it out. And then it'd be like, Oh, what do you want to watch? It's still in the DVD player. We'll watch it again. And it would just be kind of like that. It was this and I don't know, like fear and loathing in Las Vegas and some other, you know, 
movies like that that just kind of were on repeat. But I, it just it holds up, and I never noticed when I watched it the very few first few times that it takes place the first day on nine eleven. For anyone out there who doesn't know, the dude's <laughs> writing his check at Ralph's, and it's nine eleven nineteen ninety one. Yep, the Coen Brothers predicted nine eleven. Everyone. <laughs> Because the, the 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 bigger Lebowski says later, I, I was the line he says in the limo where he says, uh, "You the plane is crashing into the mountain." If he had said like the plane had crashed into the building, that would have just yeah. like set this movie off. Oh, absolutely. The general plot of this movie is very similar to a lot of not the plot itself, but the kind of the structure similar to other Coen Brothers movies where they have you know people who never would have probably met or interacted with each other somehow, some way becoming entwined in some like ridiculous plot or ridiculous you know money or something something happens and in this movie the the set off is like pissing on getting his rug pissed on in like one of the opening scenes and i mean i don't know how many times i said it really tied the room together but it's it's a lot of times such a wonderful scene too looking at this right before that you know you're obviously not a golfer uh <laughs> such obviously. a good line i have never thought to look at like I've never looked at the Big Lebowski from a leftist or Marxist perspective. It's just never occurred to me, despite the fact that I look at a lot of shit that way. And I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if you can lay this at the feet of the movie or the universality of like dialectics or leftist thought that like, once you look at the Big Lebowski through that perspective, it is actually easy to like put certain individuals into like, like plot points of like, oh, he could represent this and that he could represent this and they come together. Like from the beginning, like this aggression will not stand. Like the big, he's just in his home doing his thing and his people bust in on the behalf of other powerful people and threaten him. And then basically like, now you have to do what we want you to. And then, you know, like puppet him through the whole thing. And it's like, oh, like you can look at that from the perspective of either, you know, the global South or working class and the same thing, you know, it's like, now you, now you have to do this for me. And I just like came in and just did whatever the fuck I wanted. My goons just showed up at my, at your house and just did whatever they wanted. And now you have to respond to that. And how he responds to that is an interesting thing. And it wasn't even, what makes it so incredible is that they, it was the wrong place because the people who he sent are just complete idiots. Mistaken identity, you know? Yeah. Which they're just stupid goons. <laughs> Again, just like the United States. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say it's we could we kill the wrong person and it sets off some other bullshit because that's how American imperialism kind of works. Absolutely, that's the the thing. Well, since you said, Bill, like you know, never thought of this movie as you know from a leftist perspective. I think for me, especially some of my favorite movies, I don't usually think of that way. And I think sometimes maybe I've tucked this one away for, I don't know, a year and a half of not doing it on this podcast. Maybe to you're like, there's sometimes always that fear of like, oh, am I going to ruin something great about this movie? But I honestly don't think that it it's, it's ruined. And I think it's interesting you mentioned like how you would look at it from a dialectic, you know, all the contradictions in this movie. There are a lot of contradictions, like even just like the friend group of Walter and the dude are just like complete utter opposites. And then you have their friend, you know, Donnie, who just exists in some way as part of this group where he doesn't seem to ever like ever interact with them other than get yelled at, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and so it's, uh, 
Yeah, and just the opening scene in the in the supermarket with the backdrop of the Iraq War. For people out there who don't remember, there was a first Iraq War, which we did. We did a first one. The Gulf War. The Gulf War. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people don't uh, – I mean, it wasn't nearly as big. It wasn't a lot of fighting. It was mostly us just bombing the shit out of Iraq and saying we want our oil back. I guess this is different. The stage for, you know, it very much set the stage for future. You know, like it's integrally tied into it. Oh yeah, I, I, we don't need to go down the the Saddam Hussein rabbit hole. Except the, my favorite part yeah. of him being the guy who works <laughs> in, at the in the little dream later on. But I think that oh, yeah, the like balls. the the yeah, uh, yeah the uh, just the difference between Walter and the dude is very interesting to me. As looking at it from like that Marxist, uh, just how different they are. You said Bill that he was like this nihilist. Uh, what was the phrase you used? You said uh, positive like, nihilist. A positive nihilist, as opposed to the other nihilists in this movie, who are more negative. And then you have yeah. Walter, who's clearly has PTSD from serving in Vietnam. He's got troubles, and he doesn't deal with them. His only outlet is bowling. Like that's all he's got. It's funny, you know. You mentioned you know like Donnie and how Donnie like barely exists. It's like. Rewatching it, and we talked about this, like this theory people have that like Donnie doesn't exist, which is having watched it today, I think we can all like patently untrue, correct? Like, yes, whoever thinks that your theory has been debunked, you're wrong. Yeah, when did you stop watching the movie and then come up with that theory? Like, patently, like, untrue, and more to the point, the people are like, the dude never interacts with Donnie. Uh, actually, the dude is the only one who's nice to Donnie. Walter claims to be his friend, like, more than the dude, and Walter is a complete and utter asshole to Donnie. The dude actually gives him any kind of, like, attention, or just kind words at all. Which is funny, because, like, Donnie says arguably one of the funniest fucking lines of the movie to the dude in, like, a complete burn moment, when they're all sitting at the bar, and he's like, ah, but I need my Johnson. And he's like, what do you need that for, dude? <laughs> just a throwaway comment that like totally gets overlooked it's so funny oh yeah <laughs> that is a perfect burn is, is that when they're talking about like is that also the same scene where walter uh makes his also like fascist pro nazi comment yeah or, he does the same like scene? a passing defense of uh nazism Nazi. yeah which say what you will about the national socialist party at least they had an ethos fucking nazis they were Nazis, dude? Oh, come on, Donnie. They were threatening castration. Uh-huh. Are we going to split hairs here? No. Am I wrong? Well, he, he Man, they I'm were nihilists, man. Huh? They kept saying they believed in nothing. Nihilists. Fuck me. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess when you're... When you were forcibly sent to vietnam to fight for american freedom in quotation marks like you don't you're i don't know i mean you look at donnie and walter and the dude like we don't know what the other two of them do as jobs presumably they might have jobs i guess you know we don't Walter know. has a job does walter he say owns does, a security company oh when does the when does i don't know if i've that's, when when the security van the dude picks up walter to go to the uh kid's house he picks him up in front of Sobchak 
Awesome. Oh, man. I've missed it's that. Holy shit. very hit or miss whether Donnie has a job or not, because if you look closely, Donnie's wearing, like, mechanic shirts, but none of them ever have his name on it, and they're all different names. It's true. It's like you think – originally you think at the beginning that it might be, like, a bowling shirt because it's kind of like the bowling jumpsuit with the little initials, but they're not yeah. his name. I noticed that, too. Yeah, I, I thought that maybe name. he just does odd jobs. Like, you know, he's a – who knows? We we literally know nothing about Don at all. Yeah, we know nothing about Don. Don is barely serve. a character. Yes, he like to serve. like to serve. According to Walter, I don't... according to Walter, which I Walter's a semi unreliable, <laughs> semi reliable yeah. source. I'm not putting money on Walter's claims on anything. Hey, I will give. I will be the first one to give Walter some credit as an Asian American when he corrects the dude on the use of Chinaman. All right. <laughs> I will give him credit there. So, you know what's funny about that line? This was this is taking my I was kind of trying to like know times where I where Walter was sort of like acting kind of like a liberal-ish type of character. I feel like that in a way was kind of like a liberal correcting someone of being like, "Actually, oh, yeah. you say it this way," but then demeaning them anyway just using like the correct term so it's like he's saying this is you're supposed to say you know asian american but it really he's totally performative yeah exa- exactly the a lot of his uh you know his comments throughout were that too and actually it you also have to give credit too because walter does know who lennon is like he understood that the dude was quoting lennon although he I was trying to figure out what quote it was, but he just kind of like mumbles through a bunch of stuff. Like nothing I could find was an exact quote. He just says a few words for Lynn. Yeah, I don't know. Because the dude's like a washed up leftist, like yep. former sock dem, washed up leftist, no longer really in it. Just remembers bits and pieces here and there, and he regurgitates it at points, but. Well, he tells Maud later that, like, when after they have sex, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I went through college, but I don't really remember it. So it's exactly that. Like, he, he once might have been well, kind of cool. He said he was part of the uh, – he was one of the authors of the Port Huron Statement, which was, like, the published by the S- – Yeah, the first draft. Not yeah. the compromise second draft. Yeah, not the compromise second draft. <laughs> and uh, he claims to be part of the Seattle Seven. Um, which I, I do feel like those – when he talks about that – those moments are the most other than like other than when he talks to Sam Elliott about like just at the end when he talks to Sam Elliott about how like things are like done. He's just like, you know, yeah, you know, just kind of, you know, I'm trying to get through, you know, that is he's the most animated and most passionate about anything. The entire movie is when he's talking to Maude about his time in college or his time uh, he said, like, the Port Huron Statement and Seattle 7. That is the the most animated he is in the entire movie, I feel like. So does um does that mean that you, that he was probably, presumably, because I, I don't know, I know a little bit about the Port Huron Statement. I know that's, like, the SDS, but doesn't it also relate to, like, the auto workers in some way? So does that uh, mean he was, yeah, like, a union there, guy then, too, Yeah, there perhaps? was a, a UAW uh, conference in Port Huron when the SDS uh, released that statement and discussed it, uh, proposed a variety of actions to, to address the economy, military-industrial complex, uh, warfare state, McCarthyism, discrimination, nuclear disarmament, stuff like that. So presumably he was, like, pretty left at the time he wrote that and just you know he kind of says like he started 
traveling around with Metallica. Like, but that's the eighties. So like, he kind of just like the nineteen seventies. Like, don't ex- exist. He doesn't remember them. You know, it's like they're just kind of like a blur. He just kind of floats along, and it's and the other thing I also think about too is this is. 91 so this is just after reagan we have now you know george bush senior and it just kind of like the, the we see like just the collapsing of anyone having any real chance to make it and given their ages they should have presumably had that chance like you think about when they when they were in college but they just kind of missed it yeah, the dude still rents a place. Yeah. And, like, his landlord blows all that money putting on a weird quintet. <laughs> <laughs> like, which that, reinforces that is, the fact that landlords don't contribute to society. That guy's one of the weirdest characters in the entire movie. This And this is oh, a movie yeah. that includes Jesus. And the Flea. Bowler. And Flea. <laughs> and Flea. Yeah. And Flea. Like, this, like, he is one of the fucking weirdest characters in the entire movie. But, like... The whole like pure Huron statement when he talks about that, right? Like, I, look and like I mean, like you said, like th- that gap. Pure Huron statement, uh, is 1962, and then the Seattle Seven. If you like look at the like time, yeah, I don't remember when Seattle Seven was. I just yeah, know. I don't know exactly. Uh, Seattle Seven was 1971, so ten okay. years later. Right. So ten years later, so he was active during the 60s. Right, probably got arrested, and then it was like, "Fuck this, I'm done." But more like started touring with Metallica. Nineteen seventy. It's like at the end of that time, like that is the like the beginning of the end of like any kind of um, real effective um, leftist movement in the United States. Pretty much, Kent State was in nineteen seventy. Like at that point, like we see a major downturn. In the United States, of any kind of, like, leftist political action or, like, leftist, like, you know, Marxist-Leninist action within the United States. Like, his life follows the trajectory of, like, the leftist movement in the United States. And it just dying. And those people that were in it and then just, like, burnt out and didn't, like, become, like, sellouts, like, most, like, all, like, the hippies and shit. Yeah, um, the, the people Pete Seeger sings about in Love Me, I'm a Liberal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like his life basically follows the trajectory of the failure of the leftist movement in the United States up to the point of that movie being made. I mean, yeah, I mean, didn't didn't part of the the failures of the Seattle like Liberation Front and the Seattle Seven because of like infighting within their organization? Because it was a Marxist Leninist organization, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I know some of yeah. that. So. Yeah, so yeah, so you said 1970, it basically falls apart soon after that. So once that disintegrates, and he, and it's funny, he's like, oh, I was in Seattle Seven with with six other guys. Like he doesn't even mention, he, like doesn't remember who they are, and that's why he can like quote Lenin randomly, but he doesn't really know anything left. It's it, it just like gone from his brain. Yeah, he tries to quote Lenin, but stumbles on it. Like he's quick to call the chief of uh, police of Malibu a fascist, and then when fascist. he's talking to Mod later, he's like, "Oh, real reactionary." <laughs> yeah, it's like he remembers like the real like labels and stuff like that, but can't remember full quotes and buzzwords. He's got yeah, the buzzwords exactly. It is specifically a reference to Jeff Dowd who was a friend of the Coen brothers and that his like involvement in the Seattle seven. But yeah, the Seattle seven fell apart due to ideological dissension and chauvinism, male chauvinism. And then he's friends with Walter. who's like the ultimate, just like such a 
a chauvinist in many ways while also just utterly browbeaten by his ex-wife yeah totally browbeaten right didn't jeff dow go to prison i think a bunch of them did so that presumably you said one any which one you said like he probably went to prison lebowski and then had to like reform and had no way to like reintegrate back into society presumably like it's almost like he was a i don't want to say he was a victim of the system but he could have been potentially uh uh dowd was like he was jailed for like i don't think he didn't go to like prison oh he, it was he, more he like fucking, he became a movie producer like right he became a movie producer the, the, the founder became advisor to clinton like <laughs> like they all just like went up like they all went liberal and Lebowski, the dude's like, yeah. nah, fuck it. I'm going to go bowling. But yeah, the, the, um, what was the other thing I was going to say is, so on the, so we, we talked about, I guess the, the three sort of main characters, but then some of the side ones you have like Jeffrey Lebowski, like the actual Lebowski, you know, like the big Lebowski as the, the, the title, Lebowski. the title indicates the Lebowski. He is like you, when you first go to his house and like you, if you've seen this movie the first time you're watching, like, Oh, he's a rich dude. he, he talks himself up as having run businesses and foundations and shit. And then like, you find out later that's like all a complete sham. He's just like a shell of a person. And I think it's a uh, kind of a good, usually he's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cause he has a good the, line. The, uh, the, what is yeah, it? The, the little Lebowski the urban achievers. achievers. Yes. That was, <laughs> that was Mr. Lebowski's children, so to speak. Oh, different mothers. <laughs> Rachel is pretty cool. <laughs> Such good lines, dude. It's so early as on. Brand, <laughs> as Brant stands there uncomfortable through the entire thing. Yes. Poor Brant. Philip Seymour Harvin, RIP. Um, but th- that was, that was actually my like fantasy football name for years. Like when I still played was the little Lebowski urban achievers. <laughs> That's such a good name. <laughs> Uh, That's a good one. Yeah, I was watching that scene with uh, my wife earlier, and like uh, when Brant does the uh, like with uh, children without a necessary means for a necessary means for a higher education, <laughs> she was like, "Did they, like they mean to mess that up?" I was like, "No, it's a Coen Brothers film. That's purposefully <laughs> in there." I was like, "There's only one ad lib line in the whole entire movie." Like, yeah, they they don't they're not big fans of uh, going off script. They want they want it the way no. they want it. Uh, yeah, if it's in there, it's purposeful. Yeah, the Big Lebowski is like this vessel of just—I don't know, like like a metaphor for capitalism. I don't really—I I think it's just that oh, the, he just oh, exists in some way, but isn't real, right? He's propped up by his wife and his wife's—or sorry, his daughter. They don't ever mention if his original wife died. I presume so, or is divorced. I guess they never really say. It's implied because he has the finances, or more important, Maud has the finances. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have anything. You know, like, if He's they broke. divorced, yeah, if, he, if they divorced, there's no reason, there's no way Maud is going to give him right, right, an, right. An, an allowance based off, you know. like So she died, and she probably, she inheritance died. went to Maud, and he keeps the big Lebowski afloat or something. Mm-hmm. I believe, actually, he even says something about his wife. Like, rest her God, like, something. In one of his, in the scene by the fire where he's, like, pretending to be sad. Yeah, That's something like that. I I can't it's remember. A <laughs> it's a bummer, man. <laughs> mind if I do a J? <laughs> <laughs> you mind if I do a J? I know you're about to pull your heart out, but uh, mind if I do a J? <laughs> the best part of that whole scene for me is when he's talking to Brant, and they he's like 
telling him the instruction, then like the smoke blows out of his nose right into his face, and it goes right into the <laughs> Jesus scene. Like all of the, I know we skip past like the fact that Walt, that the Big Lebowski is like this metaphor for capitalism, but I think that I, I don't think the Coen Brothers meant it that way. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we don't need to get into like, do we think the Coen Brothers had these ideas? But I think they had a sense that he was like a um, window dressing. Like he, he, and that's not the word I'm looking for. He's just kind of a empty vessel of just performative. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of the word. I mean, it's like even in the very initial like reaction when the Lebowskis are first sitting down, like he's like, oh. I'm responsible for every rug that gets micturated upon in this city. And it's like turning it into like a personal issue. Like this is your rug, your problem, even though they're coming for his wife, like and him for his like missing money. Like he turns it around on him. Like it's very capitalist. Like, Oh yeah, I know we're like dumping shit in the oil oceans and like polluting the atmosphere, but you need to worry about your carbon footprint. Okay. He, he, like I feel like the speech also is very much like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like yes. oh, go get a job, you you bum, like all the like it, that's like the way that that generation was talking to you know people who were do what your parents did. exactly right, like you know do what your parents did, same idea, like oh I was able to be a milkman and make six figures and have a house, why can't you do it? You know it's like well because you were in the nineteen forties and fifties during like the one time that was even possible. I cannot solve your problem, sir. Only you can. Oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. Yes, that's your answer. That's your answer to everything. Tattoo it on your forehead. Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. Condolences. The bomb's lost. My advice to you is to do what your parents did. Get a job, sir. The bombs will always lose. Do you hear me, Lebowski? The the, the other thing that I'm curious about about this, this is like completely subjective about this. I know that like the majority of this movie hinges on the fact that like they all are bowlers. And do you think it's because like in the 1990s, bowling was extremely popular? Like in the 80s and 90s, I feel like bowling was pretty popular. I mean, why else make it? Or is that just the Coen brothers? Like it's fun that they're bowlers. Even though like 90s bowling was like probably at its height. I don't no bowling that well i probably like way out of pocket i'm way out of pocket saying like the behind of bowling was in the 90s i don't know it could be like right now and i would be so like lost but i mean there's not that many bowling movies you know what i mean so i feel Kingpin. like it couldn't have been due to like <laughs> yeah, that's the only other one yeah <laughs> like literally the only other movie yeah so like i mean it couldn't have been like that super popular where there's only two films about it you know i think I, Speculating. Know, whether intentional or not, bowling has a very specific cultural marker. It is a working class, every man, every person thing. It is not high end. It is something that people from lower economic brackets participate in. Like it is, you know, it's it's the golf of poor people. Yeah, you can split pictures. It's sick. Like, literally, like, and I don't mean to insult bowling by comparing it to golf, which is a terrible, terrible thing. And golfers get the wall. But it is the golf of of, of the working class. Well, the very opening credits where they're showing the bowling alley and they're showing all the different people bowling, you see, like, people of all different 
stripes yeah. that are bowling. Whereas anyone, and that, that's why one of the reasons why the sport in general, like professional bowling became popular is because you didn't necessarily need to be like a weightlifter or like in good shape necessarily to be a bowler. If you could learn the skill and you could practice enough and get good, you could be a professional bowler. And so it was like an everyman kind of sport. And, and leap, my mom was in a league bowling in the 70s, I think. Like she like would say like, oh, everyone like was playing was bowling because it was just you could go to the bowling alley, you could smoke cigarettes inside, you could drink like cheap, shitty beer and get popcorn and you'd have your night. Both of my parents were in league, like bowling leagues when I was a kid in the 90s. Like bowling was. Maybe bowling yeah. was the hype uh, war. I don't know. We'll I have mean, to, we'll have to fact say, check that. I also say from like the photographer in me that like, like it's probably like from like a normal perspective, like it's not a very cinem- like cinematographic like it doesn't result in good cinematography like bowling but the way they did it in the film was absolutely incredible all the like all the shots of them bowling down all from like the both... shots and like the angles even rolling up and down the uh, lanes like when they have the shot in the ball when in, the, in ball. the ball exactly yeah incredible cinematography and like not something you normally associate with bowling especially if you ever saw it on tv yeah it's usually just like one angle of them yeah, it's one the... far angle and then one close-up angle. Bowling reached its peak in the 1960s. Oh, the dude's also, also... heyday. So the... like, oh. literally, like, the time when he yeah. was the most, like, who he was. It's like, it is the thing that, it's like an impression upon him. Maybe that's where they went to go, like, talk about communist shit. They'd be like, oh, hey, let's go to the bowling alley. And they would, you know, p- play a couple of rounds and talk about the seattle seven i don't know like everyone has their place because yeah. he's from you know southern california so i don't know i don't know as much about that the the culture then but that's interesting and i also didn't realize how like bowling i think was like invented by like the ancient egyptians it's like thousands of year old sport really i did not know that and not since we're that. on bowling that it was invented in 5200 bc was like the first time the bowling was played let's say i was going to try to i presume s- like i presume like a rounded rock going down against hitting other you know <laughs> oh, other probably. similar rocks of some sign I'm sure it wasn't the same thing pillars, but... totems or something yeah i could like picture the I egyptians say, I was doing segue us into talking about jesus Oh, yes, please. I, I, This was always one of my favorite scenes. And I had a friend in college who dressed like him for Halloween one year. Fantastic pretty Halloween costume. That's great. That's, too, yeah. And John Turturro is just... Eight-year-olds, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, had to, he had to go to every... He's a pederast. Wait, he had to did, go to, he had to go to did, did I make this up? Or was there supposed to be a movie about him? There was. There was a now, there was. I have not seen it. They believe it's called The Jesus Rolls. Okay, I remember when it was going to come out. Maybe like, two to three years ago. I haven't watched it because I don't want it to ruin this movie. Yeah, exactly. You get it. You get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like anti-remakes of stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to see the remake of RoboCop. Fuck that. I saw RoboCop. That's all I need to see. Oh, the remake of RoboCop is just basically, what if a judge was in the Raid Redemption? (laughs) That's what it is. It's just a ripoff of the Raid Redemption with a... uh, No, wait. That's... No, wait. Are you saying... No, I'm thinking Judge Dredd. Fuck, I'm all fucked up. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different movie. Oh, yeah, totally different movie. Which, I I do... The... The new judge. That's a good movie. Like I'm sorry, yeah, it's just, it a, it's just a rip off of the Raid Redemption. It was solid, but, but it's a solid movie. Like you can oh, yeah. just wa- Lena Headey in that. 
solid. Like, great character. Like, hmm. maybe I'll just enjoy the movie. Either. Don't, yeah, no, I, I, I'm so sorry I got those confused. Don't think about it too much. Don't think about it too much. You will not. Robocop, the, the new Robocop is just what if Robocop sucked and had zero message? Like, that is literally. That's what the new Robocop. Robocop. That's what the new Robocop is. It's like, what if there was no message to this? What if we stripped all meaning from this movie and then put a cop in a robot suit? There you go. You've got some terrible. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, but the that. the 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 whole uh, also the other thing too. I think we were discussing. We were going back to like the theory that Donnie doesn't exist. And in most of the scenes, they only show two people on each bowling team. But when they show Quintana's team, Jesus's team bowling at a later scene there actually is a third guy sitting behind them so clearly it is a three-person team unless it's like yeah. two and an alternate i don't know yeah We've no already that was something established I was pay- that whoever said that is crazy yeah no there was that was something i was trying to figure out is like i was trying to pay attention to on this watch too was the number like Smokey's team has three players right quintana's team jesus's team has three players. The third player is only seen in one, like one, two frames. Yeah, he's just in the background of them playing. But what's weird is when he says, when Walter says who they're going to play, he's like Walter. He says Quintana and uh, whoever the other guy is in his team. He doesn't mention the third guy, so maybe it's like that third guy sucks. Yeah, he's like, oh, I, I <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't count. I mean, I fully believe the third guy sucks because even Jesus doesn't like mention him when he's like oh Liam and me, me Lee and me are gonna fuck you up <laughs> like doesn't mention his third teammate who clearly exists same color shirt and everything but that line that line wouldn't have hit him. the line would have hit Liam and Joe and Joe and me no that's yeah we're gonna fuck you up I- I've been reading the the synopsis of Jesus rolls on and off this movie sounds I- <laughs> <laughs> not good uh kind of i'm glad i haven't watched it yeah i'm not I gonna say it it kind of terrible uh and just like the things in it i'm like this is i bad i don't oh man no. so as a this is how we can tell it was terrible it cost 4.5 million dollars the box office receipts was sixty thousand. that is so bad <laughs> <laughs> that is Oh, that is bad. really, really bad. I think Ward almost threw up when he heard that. <laughs> and John Turturro so directed bad. it, which I feel, feel kind of bad because I like John Turturro. He wrote it, too. Christopher Walken is in it. I, I'm i not going to see it. So I, might John have YouTube, I, might have, I might have to YouTube some scenes, and that's it. Yeah, yeah just, the thought about that. seeing the gonna, whole thing is kind of sad. So here's yeah, another thing. Sounds like a lot. Here's another thing I want to talk about because I I made a meme. I don't know. It was like a few months ago related to it, and I feel like it's somewhat relevant. Is that not only is Walter kind of like a Libby kind of person, he's also a Zionist. I mean that that tracks. I mean the fact I mean, that, that he, tracks in more than one form. You go for the first one, Evan. Well, I was just going to say, so he has the, he brings the dog in. He talks, or he says, uh, theater rehearsal, if you if you build it, it will, like, it is no dream. If you will it, it is no dream. Will it, it is no dream. Theodore Herschel, the state of Israel. And he also says at one point when they're, when after they mess up the drop, like, I know we didn't, like, really talk about the plot, but fuck, if you haven't seen this movie by now. Um, but, like. <laughs> We're like, not helping you. But they, but, That's on you. 
But they're yeah, sitting that, at home. That's on, that's you. on you yeah. or in your yeah. car. That's yeah, on improve you. yourself. Improve yourself. Make yeah, your why life are you even better. listening to this? Yeah. Like, I appreciate it, but, like, why? Get a job, Watch sir. the movie yeah. first. What? Are you a bum? Are you a bum? Do what your parents did and watch the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But but after the scene where they, like, screw up the drop, they do, like, the fake drop, throw his undies, and they're, like, sitting in a bowling alley. He comes – Walter comes in later, and he says um, – he, he uses a Hebrew phrase. He says, Etz Chaim He, which actually means the tree of life. It's like a Jew, it's like a Jewish song and, you know, their prayers and things. And, like, it doesn't really make any sense in, like, the frame of this. But it's interesting that they had to slide in these like random sort of like Jewish things about him. But they also mentioned he wasn't Jewish. He converted for his wife, who's now his ex-wife. But he still seems to like have these things as part of his like he's 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 Shomer Shabbos. He doesn't bowl on, you know, he doesn't work or do anything on weekends on Friday night and then Saturday. Do you turn in your library card and you get divorced? But it's it's such as like there. I mean, the Coen Brothers also have a lot of movies where there's like a Jewish character. They have a movie I saw recently. I hadn't seen it before. It was one of their early movies that a serious man. I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's okay. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty good. But it's like all about like a Jewish guy and the, like the whole plot is him getting divorced from his wife and the whole thing. But it goes. So I, I, I blabbered on too far. War. But what were you going to say about him being like? Uh, I don't know. Like this. Oh, the second part. Yeah. Oh, that that I noticed that uh, reaffirmed it for me is uh, he Israeli carries his 1911. He doesn't have one chambered. He had a racket to get one chambered. Whenever he pulled it on Smokey, he re- Israeli carries. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Interesting. I never. I don't think I ever noticed that before. Yeah, that takes. He it, draws takes it, a shoves it in his. He draws it, shoves it in his face, and he starts yelling. And then he eventually racks it, chambering around. And then when he goes to put it in his bag, he has to like actually remove the magazine, unchamber that chambered round to clear it. So he easily could have just accidentally just popped Smokey right in the face. Yeah, especially after he racked it. Yeah, yeah. I do not possess. <laughs> I'm a gun guy. Yeah, I know. I mean, do you think that was like an intentional thing to do? Like to probably not, but I mean, I just picked it up and I was like, yeah, I'll add that into the list of him being a Zionist since we were talking about it, and like I was trying to formulate all culminative points pointing in that direction for Walter, and I was like, there's another one that's like really reaching. Of course, I'll be the first to admit it, (laughs) but I I fucking noticed it, so I'm going to bring it up. (laughs) Well, there's like three different. It's a movie trope. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also looks really cool, too. Like in the oh, scene. Yeah, it looks cool. That's why, that's why it's a movie it trope. The whole racking thing, yeah. Yeah, it's more a movie trope than him being, like, an actual IDF, former IDF or anything like that. The whole thing. So, I guess the only other, like, characters that are maybe even worth talking about, I, I just think it's a funny scene because I watched it not that long before he came on, is the all of the scenes with, like, Jackie Treehorn, like, at his house, and then, like, the really awesome, like, you know, drugged dream he has with Saddam and the scissors and everything. Gutter balls. Gutter balls. It's, it's, it's so balls. good. It's so good. And the... It's, he's... Dude, he comes down wearing Yuli's outfit from Log Jamming. Yeah. To get shoes from Saddam Hussein to meet Ma dressed in a Viking suit with, like, bowling ball, bronze bowling ball yes. bra. Like and and the women with the bowling pin headdresses, 
that look like they're being like, you know, like it's a strike, like they're being like, you know, but like it's the nihilist like he, carrying the scissors, you know, like yeah, snapping the scissors. Yeah, the he's scissors. going down and then spins over so he can look. <laughs> yeah, like and they did such a wonderful cinematography with the idea and concept of bowling that like you would never it's normally so think of, and it looks good for the oh 90s yeah absolutely too. for like that scene, so yeah. phallic. It's every like that is we associate mm-hmm. bowling with like just like let's be honest like what if i say to you like bowling what do you like what's the first word that comes to mind i mean every single guy gutter ball i'm not even going to answer that i'm just going to say every single guy has at one point held up two bowling balls in front of them and been like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> but it's like you you they took bowling which is not let's be honest sexy it's and not. the people like it's not a, you don't associate sexy people with bowling and they were like but we do associate testicles and dicks with bowling and they just turned it up to 11. Well, which makes it so like perfect that like the subplot is that bunny is like a, like in the, like a sex worker, like working for Jackie Treehorn, who is basically another great line that that I didn't catch as clearly when he's asked Jackie Treehorn, if he's still like in like the pornography business, he's like, no, I'm in the like (laughs) entertainment and like the political business or like the public advocacy. Publishing and political political advocacy. advocacy. So he's basically like, you know. He's Larry Flint. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Larry Flint. I guess that is kind of. Yeah. So it's. But like the subplot of everything is bowling and then like everything is related to sex. You know, you have the the nihilists and the you have the like the plot that Bunny like. And also just like that Maud is trying to have sex with him. Like also. Why does she choose the dude? Well, she says so she doesn't want a father that wants to be involved. Like because she just got into a sperm bank. Like she's extremely oh, rich. She absolutely could have. I think she just wanted to get. Honestly, I I get the like the way she talks about sex. I think it's like if I'm going to get pregnant, like she doesn't like she said she doesn't want anybody involved, but she wants to get laid. Like straight he's up, like and she doesn't seem like and thorough. She doesn't, yeah, yeah, good. He's thorough, very thorough. But that's it. the thing too. Like it's it struck me that she that she punched him in the face as like the actual intentionally so that he would have to go to the doctor so that she could find out if he was clean. But that was before they had ever even met, right? I think that was more of like a secondary, a second yeah. okay. on so top it wasn't, of the thing. Because okay. the first thing is like to get her rug back because that one had sentimental value because right. of her mother, and so. And then I think the ancillary benefit was after meeting the dude, she was like, okay, he's not terrible. He's so funny. You should go see this doctor. He's like, a good man. Like the jokes he and makes like there when he's like, oh, you can guess what happens next. And he's like, he's, he fixes the cable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's witty. Like he puts, he, he makes a good impression with her. Like straight up. Like he makes a good impression with her. And it's like, oh, you know, he, he's like, for lack of a better word. A bum. He's not going to want to stick around. Why not? And he doesn't know, want much of anything. Yeah, he just wants a rug. <clears throat> just wants his rug. And to make white Russians with like powdered creamer, which is also disgusting. So yeah, that when he does and that, half and half, half and half. Like you're not supposed no. to use half. No, and thank half. you. No, mm-hmm. you're not. 
You're not supposed to use half an ass. No. Also, why does he have to smell it it's at so the store? Much. Like, can't he just look at the fucking date on there? He's Dude, like, no, he didn't just smell it. He drank he, some oh, yeah. in yeah, the he aisle. He drinks it. Yeah, it's, it's on, on his, his mustache. mustache. Yeah. He's writing that check for 60 some odd cents. 69, 69 cents. It is true. Like, really, everything in this movie is like a sexual metaphor constantly throughout it. I mean, plus and like everything bowling. ties it together through so well in this film. Like, I mean, we even skipped over like Jesus being the whole reason or like being the main reason in plot that the dude says he hates the Eagles later in the film. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Which also I also personally do not like the Eagles. And like I, I remember thinking when I saw this movie, I'm like, oh, man, like I fucking hate the Eagles. And it's like, oh, OK, <laughs> that's that's also funny to say that. I, on the other hand, think that there is literally not a single version of Hotel California that is bad. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. I have Sorry, never, ever turned off Hotel California in my life. What was the no. song that's on the on in the cab? It was that wasn't Hotel California. It was something else. No, it was not. It's not. It, it's one of the Eagles' like lesser like songs, to be honest. Well, I think was that it, like peaceful, easy feeling. Maybe. Maybe. I think so. Well, they're like uh, along those lines. lines. Great ones. Well, their their yeah, greatest no. hits record, I think, is one of like the best selling records of all time. Like top twenty albums ever. It's got sold. Hotel California yeah. on it. Yeah, it's got Hotel California. On it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Believe, I, don't <laughs> I believe it's got. I believe it's got two versions of it on there. Even it's got. Oh a, yeah, a, rec- like, a just, studio and live recording. Oh, it's just yeah, nine money, versions money, of Hotel California. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it right there. And I believe that is the. Gypsy Kings, I believe. That's their version of Hotel California that's playing earlier on in the movie. I mean, the, the soundtrack, too. Like, another thing, too. The soundtrack of this movie is, like, a pretty big... It's, like, a lot of bangers. It's a good soundtrack. Absolutely. It's a, but even if you notice, the songs repeat and replay, just like how reoccurring lines come up and the dude repeats lines that he's heard earlier in the film. It's we true. We get repeats of the same songs. Like we get yeah. the intro song later, like towards like the end of the second, dream, the first dream scene, I think, and then like yeah, you get a re- you get a few repeats that's, of the songs. That's as pretty well. uncommon in a movie to like reuse a track. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't Absolutely. know how often it's done, but it doesn't. And I do like how uh, the dude will say something he heard previous, like parlance of our times. So he'll hear Maud say it, and then he'll say it later. Or like this aggression, it will not stand. He hears it from George H. Bush yep. in the uh, supermarket. Yeah. It's funny. This is the this is the second movie I've done in the last couple months that t- was from like '91, and they have references to the the first rack Warren. And it's one of it's um. You, like you don't really see it in movies, and I feel like people don't really think about it. But that's neither here nor there. I don't think there are other what like the, there's a there's another good example of the dude. Re- it was peaceful. Oh, damn, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, there's another one where the dude like clearly like shows how he is more of a vessel in this movie, more of an object, like a vessel of an object in this movie than like an actual character. Is like. He goes from like being like, oh, she probably kidnapped herself to being told like, oh, the ransom is going on. Like her life is in your hands. And then he keeps telling Walter her life was in our hands, man. (laughs) Her life was in our hands. Walter says she probably kidnapped her, kidnapped herself. And within moments, the Lebowski's like, the dude's like, she probably kidnapped herself. Like he is within moments, Mm -hmm. within like two lines, he is sold. So he doesn't have his his own thoughts. And then... 
and then yeah. flips around as soon as he talks to Brant. Yeah. Like, it's like life is in our hands. He's like, but I saw the toe. <laughs> I, I love yeah. my favorite, I my favorite part of that. As in the diner. My favorite part about the diner scene is just like the demeanor that Walter has of just like being very calm, talking about the toe. And then he gets like agitated later, but he's like, oh, you know, I could just freedom of speech. He just like, I can just clip off a toe and get you a toe. You want a toe? I could just apply yeah, the very PM. over freedom of speech. That's when he's told he cannot say what he wants. That's when he gets upset. It's very liberally. Well, I guess that's more like you could say kind of like a, a right wingy. I guess liberals are right wing. So tracks. they're not they're not different. Same, same to to like go back when you when you I mean, when you said earlier about like um, the big Lebowski um, being and by the big, I mean, the character um being like whether it was intentional or not to be like a representative of like a capitalist or capitalism like i think that the more like the older i get and the more like aware of things and like what like read on things and like you know when it, when it comes to like media if it's intentionally made you know i'm not talking about you know things like endgame or like you know ant-man 10 i'm talking about movies like the big lebowski or anything like the coen brothers or even like you know like other other directors other writers that you know these movies are intentionally made they're made with purpose they're made with insight and thought behind it it is i would argue impossible to not create those kinds of references it is impossible to not evoke those things because that is the real like Reality is Marxist. And if you're going to make a movie and you're going to be intentional about it and you're going to try to reflect reality and talk about the world, you're going to make a movie that even if you don't intend to, even if you, you know, this movie is, you know, even if you never once crossed your mind, you're going to write a movie that reflects Marxist dialectical thought because reality is marxist this is something i think about a lot with movies is even if the when they were writing the script they're thinking like oh let's make him be like capitalism i'm sure that wasn't like in their mind but they're writing in under capitalism for a big studio and inherently they're going to do it. it just even if they didn't intentionally mean to that character is going to embody that still which I think is yeah. kind of what you're saying is that they, because just the way you look at the world, even if they are kind of generic liberals, I'm sure that's kind of what the Coen brothers are. And, you know, maybe, I mean, I don't know what their background is. I know like, you know, where they studied and kind of their early movies, but like, I think about like movies like raising Arizona and some of the earlier ones, Miller's crossings, like they have some like social and class pieces to them that are a little more interesting. So Hudsucker proxy. Oh God. I mean that move, I didn't, that was one of my like third or fourth episodes on this podcast and it's very explicitly like fascist and corporate America and everything. So maybe sometimes for some directors, I don't give them much credit, but I think with the Coen brothers, I think you should give them the credit. They make excellent movies, even though they've fallen off a little recently, but yeah, I mean like you don't even, like you guys are saying, like you don't have to be explicitly a Marxist to no. every so often stumble upon like, Marxist beliefs and talking points just through your own happenstance and evaluation of things like especially if you want to be really accurate with things the reality is Marxism 
So even if you're not a Marxist, you could be a liberal or fucking whatever. If you want to do a concrete evaluation of something, you're going to end up in the Marxist sphere. So like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I like to think too, especially a lot of these people who went to film school, you know, in the eighties or nineties, whenever they did, like they, they watched movies by, you know, uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin and these guys like Orson Welles, that's what the movies that they're studying to become filmmakers. And a lot of those people were actually communists and Marxists. It's like they're studying the techniques of these. Obviously, some people end up like Jason, like Michael Bay makes shit ass Transformer movies for like the DOD. But some people actually make good fun movies. And the the Big Lebowski is not just a fun movie. It's funny. It like all of the like it doesn't fall off at the end. Like the whole payoff of the whole movie is great. The one thing I will say about the ending of this movie is when they lift him out of the Big Lebowski out of the chair and like throw him on the ground. Like that's something that, like a liberal would do too. being like, I don't think you're actually handicapped or disabled or, you know, like be a dickhead. And, you know, I think this and guy the walks. dude is like, no, like, don't like he is against that a hundred percent. He's like, don't do that. Exactly. Even even a piece of he's like like even like the big Lebowski who he clearly does not respect as a person. Like he stole his rug. He's just like, you know what? You're not going to give me what I want. I'm going to take it. <laughs> like even that. He's like, don't don't do this. Please don't do this. I mean. Yeah, the big Lebowski, or the dude of all people who, like, we get our one ad lib line from, calling him a human paraquat. <laughs> like, human paraquat. That's the one ad lib line in that whole movie. And. Which, I, that. So great. That's a deep cut to, like, to know. Especially like, when Walter's been making all of non references this whole time, and then fucking. Yeah. He just hits with a fucking deep cut. What was the, yeah. what was the, what was the line supposed to be? It. You know, or like he I just don't even know. That just he just said it, and that was it. I don't know. Yeah, he said it. Like all I know is that is the only ad lib line in the whole movie, and they kept it. But like he calls him a human paraquat, and then is like, "No, don't pick him out of the fucking wheelchair, dude." Like, no, 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 no. no, no. We just, let's just say bad things to him. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I, I guess this like up. the whole point of that. My like saying is that I think you can say that this movie legitimately imbibes those, uh, brings in those ideas. For, you know, not not unintentionally and not just to be like some of these newer movies that are just kind of like intentionally anti-capitalist to the point of almost like insufferable, like Glass Onion. I, I did that episode and it's not in retrospect, like it's not a great movie. It's kind of critiques like an Elon Musk type. But I think this movie you can yeah. actually slow hanging fruit bring in interesting pieces. And honestly, I don't think I've ever seen anyone talk about this movie on youtube about it from like a left perspective so we did it I, I was looking around and i saw one article i did not fucking read it i should have but it was <laughs> well sometimes it, <laughs> but that's, but that's, full disclosure full i didn't disclosure do my due diligence i didn't fucking read it i fucking and i'll fully admit i fucking should have it was like uh, the title of the article was uh, The Big Lebowski, A Parable of Global Capitalism. Okay. It would have been like perfect for this. Well, But, but it, I was like, nah, we'll fucking get there on but, our own. But sometimes it's not. But sometimes I see those articles <laughs> and I'll read them. But I, I always worry in some cases this is a thing of like, is that going to then influence the way that I'm going to then discuss it by taking this person's thought? But then I think 
it's reasonable to do that and say like, well, this guy says this. Like, do we agree? And that's like what you would do oh, as a dude, Marxist. Mike right? on our podcast reads fucking articles from like whatever, and then we'll just shit on it, even if well, it's that's like, funny. <laughs> if it's like from CNN and shit like that, be like, all right, this, that, 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 those were right, but like this is all fucking bullshit. Well, but it is kind of like we talked about that that the Big Lebowski, like the title character of the movie is just like the representation of like the hollow shell of capitalism and all the people in this movie you have jackie treehorn who's just kind of getting by on exploitation really i mean that's kind of what his business is you have the cop in malibu he also draws dicks yeah he just draws dicks on, on <laughs> that is one of my all-time favorite scenes in the it's entire so movie funny. It is, it's just such a mean but it's just it, it there is uh, He's just getting one over on the dude, and it just—he's—he's oh, yeah. he's on the fault. Just uh huh, and where? Uh huh. Uh, yeah, we'll do the pickup, and then just the. I, I, I total visual gag. It's just—it's one of my all-time favorites since the entire movie. It's so good, it's, and it's, the look on the dude's face—the look on yeah. the dude's face when he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so perplexed. And then when the cop is going through his wallet, that's like one of the only two things he has. He has the Ralph Rewards card, and he has. The- <laughs> That's it. He doesn't even have a license, which means he just drives around like sans license. Yeah, he drives without a license, yeah. He's like not even part of the system. He just kind of like lives outside of it. I don't know how he's paying his rent. I assume he's just on unemployment or something or he – where's he getting his his rent money? His uh, not sure. 69 cent uh, – I want to say there was like some – I remember something vaguely that he was like an heir of something and he got like barely any money from it. Oh, like a settlement, maybe? Like, does he say yes, that to Ma? He's possibly. Like, I don't know. Yes. Something. And then he could get unemployment, right? He could, or dis- disability, you know, who knows? Like, he could, Sounds like work. I mean, he can cut into bowling time. It's in the original draft of the movie that he is oh, damn. To the I'm... inventor of the Rubik's Cube. Damn, I'm good. Oh, shit. <laughs> and they cut that out? I told you, or did I mention that I was like number one in the world for fucking Lebowski trivia for like on this, some random <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've, for, you've hit like, some. Like uh, a couple years. <laughs> That's crazy. So he he's just living off like a small, you know, like he's clearly not living extravagant life. He has like a rug. Yeah, it's Ruby's Cube in the nineties. Like it's had its time already. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's well past. Again, when did the Ruby's Cube peak? <laughs> Probably in the seventies, I would guess. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like his 60s, entire 70s, life. Well, yeah. it was invented in the mid seventies. So his his entire life basically peaked in the nineteen seventies, and it's just been like. Yeah. Nothing since, which is kind of like bowling. Earth. Since. I mean, not Earth. Uh, United States. <laughs> <laughs> just like Earth. Yeah, just like, like Earth. Just like the whole planet. The whole planet. Just downhill. The whole planet. Downhill system. C minus would not recommend. John Bottom died, and then everything just fell to shit. <laughs> Reagan was elected, and it's all been downhill since. I mean, basically. But, yeah. I mean, that is actually true, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening from a distant apocalypse or a f- far distant utopian future, looking back, it's all Reagan's fault. It's all fucking Reagan's fault. And Thatcher, don't forget Thatcher. So when when if you can go back in time to when John when uh, Reagan was like an actor on like Hollywood, just like have him fall off one of those horses and just like break his neck, and then he won't exist. He won't become yeah, governor. Why Christopher Reeves and not him? <laughs> You think about all this shit? I mean, I feel like... Christopher Reeves was Superman. I'll shit on Zack Snyder Superman all day. You can throw Zack Snyder in it with that. It should uh, be James shit Cameron. on. Zack Snyder yeah. is a that movie is That movie director. is just absolutely horrible. Yeah. Well, have you seen this? Well, we don't need to get into all this, but have you seen the Zack Snyder cut of like the Justice League? 
Yes, it was painful. Yes. It took me. I mean, dude's an Ayn Rand libertarian. It took me three hours. It's like a three and a half hour movie. I believe it took me three hours to watch it because I could not sit through the entire thing. I know any any final any scenes we didn't mention. I know there's obviously a lot of them in this, like that that brings uh, you would say are like top tier. The, oh, I, I know one that we didn't mention, which I think is a funny scene is when they go to Larry Sellers' house to like interrogate him about his homework and stealing the money, and then like the dude, so like funny. multiple people, is telling Maud and Jackie Treehorn that Larry Sellers has his money. Because he, he thinks Sellers he has the money. It's like, yeah, okay. And then I love also just like the dad being like Larry Digby Sellers, or uh, Arthur, Arthur Digby, Digby Sellers. Sellers, who, you know, wrote, he wrote 156 bulk episodes. Of the series. The bulk of the series. <laughs> and Walter yelling at him, big fan of your work. <laughs> Does he still work? He's like, no, he's, he's- really formative. <laughs> Does he still work? And then the mother says, like, no, he has uh, health problems. It's like the dude's inside of like a like a respirator machine. It's like I don't think the guy's like an iron lung. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the guy's uh, uh, running. But I don't know. That scene also was very funny. And then he beats the shit out of his car. And also the scene when he goes to the get his car back and he's talking to the cop and he's like, "Oh, do you have any leads?" He's like, "Leads." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we got we're, a bunch of, yeah. We're, getting, yeah. we're getting four more detectives on the case. <laughs> <laughs> we have working in sh- shifts. <laughs> <laughs> Leads. just like just the there are only two scenes in the entire movie that involve police officers and both of them roundly denounce the cops as being utterly useless serving zero purpose in society three other than three, three scenes what's the third one that when they come to his house to take the the stolen car report when he gets the car back and then when he sees the fascist, oh yes Yes, yes. And I guess point technically still, for still. when they when they run behind them after Walter leaves. So actually, I'm going to include that. I am going to yeah. include that because they are running into the bowling alley after Walter leaves. Okay. Every scene involving a police officer. The cops were there for Walter. Yeah. He's leaving. <laughs> Every scene involving police in that movie points out that they either – do not serve a purpose. Do not do their supposed job. And the only time one is doing something, it is doing what cops actually do, which is serving the ruling class and, like, basically getting undesirables out of the the area. Like, every moment they have an opportunity, the cops are shit on in this movie. Well, something I read was the reason the scene, like when he pulls the gun out and then the cops come like after like 45 minutes later, that was specifically meant to be like a joke about how they do not respond to actual crime until like it's too late. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect Perfect. that they just show up. They've already bowled. They finished the game. You know, they're out in the parking (laughs) lot. It's all done. The cops show up. They don't even walk to the car. Not even run. They walk and converse. They walk to the car. The cops are behind them. Yeah. The cops are behind them. They drive away as the cops are going into the bowling alley. Dude, hell, there's no cops at the end, like in the bowling alley parking lot, where recently a gun was brandished during a game, and there's a car on fire. On fire. There's not a cop around. Nowhere. 
It's L.A. in the 90s. They could give a fuck, right? Right. I mean, we're not that far from uh, Rodney King, I guess. Right? What? Uh, yeah, they were all busy committing hate crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what they're always doing. So, which yeah. is probably they're all like in That's Malibu usual. doing nothing. You know, just giving a... Fascist. Yeah. Fascist. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I have any other scenes. I, I also like when the when the uh, the nihilists are at the 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 diner ordering their. They're like, I'll have the Lingenburger pancakes. Like they all order like the Lingenburger pancakes. I don't know what that is. Like exactly. It's a kind of berry. And in true noir film fashion, the dude is also in that scene. The dude is in all scenes of the movie, including that one. Wait, is that true? Yeah. How is he? In- so if you watch that scene where the nihilists are at the the cafe ordering the Lincolnberry pancakes. If you watch closely through the window, you see Walter's van with Walter and the dude in it. Cause they had just left. Oh in shit. Van. He is in all Goddamn. scenes of the movie. Cause I was going to say is every other scene in the movie he is in, but then I don't didn't think he was in, in that every one. scene. So every is this scene. movie like a noir f- film? Would you say then? I mean, so like it is like a whole crime esque solving kind of thing. So, yeah, this was something I was thinking about bringing up, but I mean, we just rolled into it, so it's perfect. But like, I've seen it classified some places as like a noir film, and like, it's definitely got all that. Like, it's got a lot of aspects of a noir film, but in like Coen Brothers fashion. Well, I mean, all yeah. of their well, they... movies are like that, right? You think of of everything, like, uh... yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's similar to one like you could, could call it like a comedic noir or like a. Mm-hmm. They specifically cite that the movie itself was um, inspired by the work of Raymond Chandler. Okay. He's like, I mean, you look at a lot of their movies. Fucking, he published the big sleep. Like he is the, the fucking godfather of, or the father of that entire thing. Well, I mean, you look at some of their earlier movies before this. I mean, that style is very present, like blood, simple Miller's crossing, you know, uh, no country for old men they all have that like grittiness to them and plus the movie yeah. they made which had the word grit in it true grit so that's like that's just they they blend so that's why that's going back to like all of the characters and all the lines are all meant to do exactly what they're doing and so the yeah. the, the maybe the meaning we're stretching slightly here and there but i'd say it's probably close if you ask them like maybe not for interview for like time magazine like in a private conversation they probably would have things to say about the movie that aren't far I off. mean so I've seen a couple things that they've said in interviews and like one is that like the plot doesn't really matter I think that's in like the DVD extras yeah the like, plot doesn't really matter if you focus too much on it you're just gonna get confused it's just enjoy it and then um yeah. there's another one uh, that they're not really that big of fans of it they're like <laughs> you is... probably enjoy it more than we do I've, I've heard that <laughs> that they that they don't actually consider this like even their one of their best movies even close no i think they're really big fans of miller's crossing some of those early movies but i don't know i don't think i have anything left bill or anything uh, there is one thing okay that's not a pomeranian the dog is not a pomeranian <laughs> it doesn't look Definitely like a pomeranian. a pomeranian when it comes it's out not a pomeranian. <laughs> yeah. it's a fucking show it's dog. like it has a- fucking papers loses <laughs> <laughs> hair it's not a Pomeranian. It's like a Silky Terrier or something, but it's not a Pomeranian. Cynthia, yeah, Cynthia and Marty Ackerman. <laughs> I love how, like, it's, like, they specifically say where they are, too. Like, they're in Hawaii, like, on, like, 
Maybe it's like their yeah. honeymoon. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, yeah. Like their honeymoon or something, but he's stuck with the dog. Can't bore <laughs> Which goes with what the bill was saying about, like, he's browbeaten by his ex-wife. Uh, yeah. He's stuck with the dog. He took it bowling. <laughs> well, I'm not, I didn't get it. I didn't take shoes. it bowling. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna ready <laughs> shoes. I'm not gonna buy a fucking beer. <laughs> so I'm gonna take your fucking turn. <laughs> so I'm taking your turn, dude. Uh, I think oh, I, I just find good it's really, it holds up. It fucking holds it does up. Hold it's up. so good. Which you can honestly not say about a lot of '90s comedies. Honestly, like a lot of '90s movies now, you're like, this is really. It, it's totally because like fucking so many '90s movies lean heavily on stuff that we today would want. Like, oh my god, why don't say that? Don't say that. Like racist, sexist, homophobic tropes. Like '90s movies are just like it's like, all right, we got to make bucks. How do we make bucks? You know what? Racism and homophobia. How many times can we use homophobic slurs in this movie that will make bank? This movie, the one like major like like you said, Chinaman. The one is immediately called out like don't don't use that term like it's pointed out as something you should not be doing but yeah and then which is great that he points him out immediately hey don't say that shit and then immediately following the big lebowski says chinaman yes exactly yes. what i was gonna say it's like because he is a piece of shit and he yeah some chinaman took them from me in korea yeah, to reemphasize yeah, in that. korea yeah another it's war like the mentioned. one major thing no, I, I, it's, it is true because I do a lot of 90s. I like, I mean, I like 90s movies. There's obviously some that hold up better than others. But this one, you know, if you're, it's funny, I was looking on online, like, to see what, like, general reviews for when it came out. It wasn't, like, that well reviewed, like, as far as critics. They liked it, but it wasn't, you know, top tier. It wasn't given, like, all the accolades. But when you look back on, like, all of the Ethan Coen brother or the Coen brothers movies, for me, it's in like the top couple, maybe top two. I have a couple others that might flip it, flip in there. You know, I love Fargo. Oh, brother, where art thou? Um, I mean, mentioning Fargo, we have to include why Donnie always gets told shut the fuck up in this movie. Yes, you want to share a word? I mean, kind of. I mean, we kind of glossed over it, but yeah. So, like, the whole reason Donnie gets told to shut the fuck up is if you've seen Fargo. Steve Buscemi's character in Fargo never shuts the fuck up. He's constantly fucking chatterbox. He, he's a talker. <laughs> and so juxtaposed to this film, they were like, yeah, Steve Buscemi's character is just going to get told to shut the fuck up all the time, even though he barely ever talks. And you have to <laughs> top, on top of that, you have to have to add the fact that he gets in this movie, he's cremated into like in each movie, he gets cut up into yes. smaller pieces. Fargo, he goes in the wood chipper and this movie, he's, you know, burned. What happens to him in uh, there's one other one where he dies. I'm blanking on it right now. But yeah, yeah, there was like one. The first, like, yeah, the one you're referencing, it was like his whole body. Then it was Fargo, where it was just his leg, and then now the Big Lebowski, where he's reduced down to ashes. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they. That's the thing about the Coen Brothers too, is they love the like carrying over. They love the same actors in all their movies. Yeah, and so that like brings me back around to like when I the thing I was saying when I when we first hopped on is like the one thing that they cut from that I know of that they cut from this movie was that um Bunny her original name was supposed to be different in the script. Yeah, so her real name as revealed by the private investigator is Fawn Newton. 
Knudsen. but in the originals, yeah, yeah Knudsen. Uh, but in the original script, it was supposed to be Fawn Gunderson, and so she was supposed mm. to be the daughter, and she's from Minnesota, yeah. and she's supposed to be the daughter of Marge from. Fargo. Oh, that would have been pretty cool, but they decided it was yeah. too much. They of decided a... not to. Yeah, they thought it was like too overt of like a uh, Cohen. I love. Film I like that their movies reference. though are like kind of in like the same world of like existence, and so same. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But honestly. Push comes to shove. I honestly could not say a bad thing about this movie, and if you make me, I will still not make say a bad thing about this movie. It it holds up. It's one of my you know easily in my top favorite movies of of all time. And uh, absolutely, I, I can't imagine saying a bad thing about the Big Lebowski. Like there's things you could like nitpick about some movies. This nothing, nothing, perfect. Five stars. Yeah. Would recommend. Would recommend. Would recommend. Five stars. Would recommend. Unlike Earth after 1970. Yeah, C minus. C minus. It's the only. We've got a five stars to C minus. <laughs> yeah, different metrics. Uh, different same metrics. scale, though. Yeah, yeah we're, we're just inventing. We're inventing. They translate here. over. Yeah. yeah. But there's yeah. a way to do it. There's, there's, it's a scale. You you can you cross compare. It's a chart. But then they have movies or like yeah, thumbs we'll too. Like Google what the hell? We can like, plug it in and it'll yeah. do the translation for you. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing. We'll it's put, complicated. We'll put that. We'll, I'll put that in the show notes, everyone. So you, you'll have the uh, all your <laughs> conversions. And I actually might look up that that article you mentioned, Ward. So I'm curious now after after having done this, been like, I wonder what they had to say about it. <laughs> I I so I looked that up right. I like looked up that phrase. Article. I looked up that phrase. All I found was an article which said, sometimes referred to as a parable for global capitalism. Like that. Oh. I didn't find that article. I found an article that said, sometimes referred to as this. I blame the Modellos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I got nothing left, so I guess we could call it a wrap. But Bill and uh, Ward from Turn Leftist, thank you for talking about the dude in the big Lebowski. Absolutely. Happy to have you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having uh, me, you know, a, a complete unknown human being who just happens to watch this movie entirely too many times in my life. Perfect. And I know, and well, Ward, I, I mean, people probably, I think you've, I don't know what episode will come out first because you've been on a few, but do you want, I mean, you can tell everyone about turn left. Well, this is the second one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm that other one, the, the Wayne's world and the yeah, world Wayne's first. world. Yeah. yeah, Wayne's World should come out first. Yeah, no, I'm one of the uh, co-hosts of the Turn Leftist podcast. We talk about the current events, um, historical events, historical uh, characters from a leftist perspective. Uh, we've had some debates. Um, we're currently doing our series on the five figures of Marxism, the five heads of Marxism. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Millennial Leftist. Sweet. And you guys have to like you also do like those live episodes which are good stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We do live episodes with like uh the intervention, cars and comrades, uh Evan Collective Action Comics here. Collective yes. Action Comics, Nat as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should check all those other Sometimes Brett from Rev Rev Left. That's really cool whenever we get him on. Well, uh and you can find this podcast on all the places. We will Spotify, catch you next time. Instagram at Left of the Projector Pod on TikTok still, because I guess I still use TikTok. Also, Left of the Projector Pod and X, which I don't use, at LOTP underscore pod, because they're... You mean Twitter? Twitter, yes, X. Tw Twitter, also known as X, or Elon Musk's... It's a website. It's technically not dead naming. And it's 
terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cesspool of the internet. The only thing possibly worse is Reddit. 